Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If that meets your requirements, why not come and hear some other stories from me and some of the finest product thought leaders and practitioners in the world? You can head over to onenightinproduct.com where you can sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your favourite podcast app, or follow the podcast on social media and guarantee you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we speak to a business analyst who got bored of writing out all those requirements and built a platform to do it all at scale. We talk about the job of a business analyst and what they really do and how it differs from product management. We talk all about user stories. What's a good user story? What mistakes do people make with them? Are there any better alternatives? We also ponder what to do with that one stubborn developer who always wants to do things their way, and if it's really okay to have to work around them. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Richard Alway. Richard's a business analyst, data artist and wannabe animator who spent 15 years working in and around finance and banking, currently working as lead business analyst for the European Central Bank. Way back before all that, Richard had a job on a construction site and he's now taking that building expertise into his new startup, Recastry, a platform that hopes to take the pain out of writing user stories. So let's try it out. As a podcast owner, I want an insightful and entertaining interview so I can release it to my listeners. Hi Richard, how are you tonight? I'm alright, Jason. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you very much. That's good. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no worries. So first things first, before we talk about your startup, let's find out a little bit about you and your journey. So you're currently a business analyst for the European Central Bank. Yes. So what sort of stuff are you working on there? Okay. With the European Central Bank, um, working on some identity and access management systems across a few business areas. I think the last count was about 100. And that's rounding up soon. We're going to get off that project soon, <laughs> and I'm going to go elsewhere. But yes, identity and access management, typical VA stuff, get a requirement, implement it. Everybody's happy. I only <laughs> wish that was as simple as it sounds, but yeah. Yeah, no, I'm in. That's what I'm doing for them. Yeah, but that sounds like, I mean, if you're working for the European Central Bank, that sounds like the sort of thing that would be quite wide-ranging. You're talking already about like 100 different, I don't know what, teams or things or systems you have to implement or integrate with. Oh, that sounds like there's going back to those requirements. There's probably quite a lot of them, right? Like, is that something that's quite overwhelming, or do you manage to kind of tread a happy path through all of that? Well, like you notice, I've been doing this for a while, so I'm going in there. <laughs> so you're like a BA ninja. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe if if I if this was ten years ago, I'd have been worried. But um, going into this, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't too it wasn't too much of a hassle. I, I, if I could give you a very brief of what happens. It was, we were working in, in a sprint manner. Um, it was agile-ish. So you speak <laughs> to a business today, um, you speak to a particular business unit today, take on their requirements, get a team to implement them and go back to them tomorrow and say, okay, we've implemented. Can we start testing? And we test. And after we've tested, we go back and if they're okay with what we've implemented, we go ahead. And sometimes you might implement and go back to them and they'll say, oh, we're not ready yet to look at whatever you've implemented. And you go look for another business area and come back and they drag you in. But it's not as complicated. It's, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was more around talking to people than talking to the technical side of things because the technical side guys knew what they needed to implement. But talking about that technical, I mean, before you went into the world of work, you studied and you got a bachelor's in agricultural engineering. You got yeah. a master's in chemical engineering. Yeah. So you've got a very scientific background. Yeah. How did you go from that into business analysis? And 
Why did you do that in banking? So, short story. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> my background is in agricultural engineering, five-year course um, for the University of Technology in Akure in Nigeria, and my master's in chemical engineering at the University of Glasgow. But started working while in Nigeria, so worked for a bank, Access Bank, and then moved over to the UK after that um, to do my master's. And I, once I finished my master's, I was working for also another bank, Barclays. But it was just one of those roles where you needed to do it just immediately. You finish your master's and you're trying to get a proper job. I was actually still looking to go to Aberdeen to go into get into oil and gas and become a process engineer. But one of those interesting evenings, I was signed up to this mechanical engineering association. So they, you go to some companies to go just check out their structure, check out their infrastructure. So I went in there and one of the, uh, it was a beer making company in Glasgow. And I went in there um, and I met the process engineer. It was late in the evening. The process engineer was still there. And he was, um, he showed me around. He, I told him I had, my background was in chemical engineering. He showed me around, showed me all those big distillers and all those processing stuffs. And I got back home <laughs> and my girlfriend then, my wife now, and I told her, okay, I don't think I will ever be a process engineer. And she was like, <laughs> why? Why? And I was like, those things are noisy. I can't <laughs> walk in there. And, and that was the end of the, I actually, I think I had some interviews coming up with some of the old firms in Aberdeen at that point in time, but I was like, nah, this wasn't for me. So I kept on working at Barclays and luckily I met a guy who was a business engineer then, um, business analyst there, and he spoke, come to, to some stuff at processing center then. And I was like, oh, what, what do you do? Told me he was a business analyst and we bonded over the next few days. And I was like, oh yeah, I want to do this job. The good thing about business analysis was, was it's as close to engineering as possible. You're drawing diagrams, you're speaking to people, you're making stuff or you're getting stuff out there. And that was an attraction for me. And, and Barclays was yeah. really good then. So I spoke to some people in HR and they moved mountains to get me a business analysis role. And then well, I was in Glasgow, but the business analysis role was in Manchester. So we had to relocate from Glasgow down to Manchester. But yeah, that's how I got into business analysis. wasn't entirely by design, but it was more uh, by, <laughs> um, by an iterative process. Uh, yeah, yeah. I knocked off a few roles out of uh, along the road, but yeah. And I love I love being a business analyst. Believe me, it's the fact that you get to talk to people, and it's it's actually made me develop a few skills that I never even knew I could I had or I could actually make use of. So it's been good. But yeah, that was the journey. Yeah, sounds good. So I don't think I've had a business analyst on the show before, and you've touched a little bit on some of the things that you're working on there. But just for the record, how would you describe the role of a business analyst? And how similar do you think it is to, for example, a product owner or a product manager in an agile team? I usually see where the guys who are why. Yeah, but that's what product managers do. Come on. Well, what where product managers acts why of um, the team, business analysts acts why of stakeholders and the users and every other person. So, but, and I think that, that, that definition was rubbished online recently also by some people who said, no, don't ask why. Act. But, yeah, so many things online. But the life of a business analyst is around trying to juggle between what the business wants and what the user wants and what can be delivered. So you're asking stakeholders, the project sponsor or the product owner, about what you want to do. You're trying to liaise with as many business areas to 
make sure that you've taken everything they want from marketing to compliance, essentially compliance in banking. And you're also trying to battle with the technical guys or the development team to say, okay, yes, this is what the business wants. How are you going to deliver that? Obviously, you create a requirements log and you draw designs and you, you map out a current state and a future state and you try and say, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve. So that's the life of a business analyst. For some reason, it has, I think, because there's a very solid community around it also, it has some form of standard when you compare it with a product manager. I know we've had some of this debate on Twitter where nobody knows what a product manager does or the job is too (laughs) big or the job is too complex. But for some reason, what a business analyst will do is kind of well-defined. I remember when I started out my career, one of the things things that will get said to you by a a senior business analyst or a lead business analyst is, you're not a project manager. You're not responsible for timelines. You're just responsible for gathering requirements and passing it on to the next person who needs to work on it. So gather requirements and pass it on. But as you grow older in the profession and as you grow older in your career, you realize, okay, maybe that it shouldn't be that simple. You should take some form of responsibility, gather requirements, make sure it gets to there, to the guys who build it. If they need any help building it, you help them build it. You help get involved in the testing of it and you help get to make sure it delivers some value to, to the user. And again, in and like you see from my LinkedIn profile, from the guys I've worked in, um, the banking guys and stuff, they are not really that agile. They are not building products that uh, most of them are struggling with meeting regulatory dictates for them to build this or to do that. So they are not really going to the customer and asking every five minutes, is this what you want? They just need to build stuff. So most of them are still very waterfall in that nature. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. I, like, I was just, like I was saying to a friend recently, like, I've done every form of agile, from swagile to agile to bagile. <laughs> it's just <laughs> everybody wants to have a form of agile, but in most cases, in most of the banks, and um, they try to create teams and they, they they have product owners and all that. But in the true sense of it, they still need to do waterfall because in a regulatory environment, you're not just going to throw in stuff and test it and come back and change it in the next two, in another sprint. It's, it doesn't really work that way. You need to build and you need to make sure it's, it's fit for the customer now. Do you get customer feedback after that? Yeah, you could get it and change it at the next iteration, but it's usually mostly waterfall for most of those organizations, especially those ones struggling with regulatory stuff. So uh. that's the life of um, most banks. <laughs> I know the challenger banks these days are putting them on their toes and all that, and they all they, they're all still trying so hard to get into the agile space, but it's never been that easy for them. Well, but you're scratching the true product itch with your own startup now, though. So you're the founder <laughs> of Recistry. Yeah. So let's talk about Recistry. What problem does Recistry solve for me? Okay, so Recistry. I'll tell a story. I was recently working for. On, on, on a project and we had to write lots of user stories and requirements and all that and some of them were repetitive so because um, it was one of those um, setups where you just had to write those requirements and knock them off and prioritize them as you go along and take out the ones you don't need and leave the ones you need and I found out it was so and I was typing as a user or an each point in time I had to type so I had to come up with something to make writing those requirements faster so I came up with some spreadsheet as a start to say, 
okay, I'll just a few clicks and I'll get these user stories out as much as um, as fast as possible. After I'd done that, I decided, okay, um, I showed it to a colleague who, more of a friend, um, who also said, oh, this is good. Um, I've never thought about this. After that, I changed into a no-code tool. I used Card and Airtable. And then um, some other friends used it and they were like, oh, this, this will work, especially for new guys who were just getting into this. So it was on that basis that we started Request Street to say, okay, oh, we, could, we could have a tool for people to simply easily write user stories, especially for people who've never written them before or people who've written them before and they just need something to churn it out faster. And that was the start. And after that, we just um, I got in touch with one of the developers and he helped me to put it together into a proper setup because I just didn't want to have a no-code thing that would take every every ounce of my energy to maintain. <laughs> I've not got that time. So I just needed something that would be more stable. I, I, I know people call it a startup, but I just still think it's just a tool and we're just trying to get people to use it um, and see and come back with comments. But yeah, that's it. Right, so you're really trying to help to make the process of making user stories a lot quicker, a lot more efficient, I guess. But yeah. is it primarily focused then around efficiencies or are you also thinking around, I don't know, things like collaboration or oh, yeah. maybe even starting to have ways that you can try to not just type stuff in like sort of mad libs, like fill in the blanks, but kind of provide more guided input. Like, Is that something that you're looking at as well? So... Once we started, once I got that out, some of the feedback I got, especially from some people on Twitter, some groups I am on Slack and Discord, were like, oh, you could, you could add this in. This would be good. This would, you could have some collaboration. You could add um, a way for people to, to see this and say, yeah, um, I, I want to share with my team so that you could share with your team. Oh, some and some people came. Oh, you could add some AI element, and it will write all the user stories for you, and you don't have to do all that. And I was like, okay, fine, we could we could build all this in. So that's the space we're in now. We just wanted to get the idea rolling, um, build something, and iterate on it, and see how it goes. But the first thought around it was essentially help people write user stories, help people write it faster. And there's a lot of products in that space. Oh, you interviewed the guys from ClickUp before, and I just didn't want to start competing in that space. So it's like Jira, it's like ClickUp, it's like, because that becomes, becomes a bit more monotonous. It becomes something big. I'm not sure if it's, if it's going to get to that extent. One of the feedback I got from a very big product manager was that, oh, this needs to be able to connect into Jira. I need to be able to just click a button and it will, Populate Jira ticket for me, and I'm like, ah, okay, I, we could do that, but <laughs> in the end, what's what's the value for that? It, it might work for him, but I'm not sure if it works for every other person um, that's doing that. But it, it's it's on our feature list. We have one, and we're gonna we're making that public. I was actually writing the code for that today, and we'll have a feature list where people can vote on what they want us to add to our backlog, um, and we will we'll build on that. But yeah. This the space is big and we could add so many things into it, but I'm just taking it one day at a time and getting people's feedback and deciding if it's good enough or if it's not. Well, yeah, I was going to ask a question then. I mean, obviously, you're working as a BA day-to-day. You're writing a lot of these user stories yourself Yeah. As for your day job, and you've 
probably got at least a hundred different ideas about things that you could do for this yourself from your side, which you've kind of touched on a bit, like all the things that you could do. But from a kind of product management perspective, how have you actually decided what makes the cut for that MVP versus coming out later or maybe never? What was the process that you went through for that? So the MVP was just based on my need. So I needed to do this. And and it's 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 still just that in its raw form, actually. There, there are some typos on this, on the version <laughs> that we have now. There were just typos that I put in. So the MVP was just on that basis. Okay, this was what I needed, and this is um, how we're going about it. The next set of features are based on feedback. So I've got the, we, we have, we've had this, you need to do AI. You need to have, have an AI <laughs> element into this. I think we've, we've well, if like, you want investment, you need AI, right? Exactly. Uh, I think we have like 10 of that already. So I'm like, okay, we need to have <laughs> AI. One of the comments I also got, that because at first I was just like, we'll, we'll just have it and see how it goes. But someone said, I would never use a product if, it's, if, you're not, if you don't have a pricing system because I always worry how you're going to maintain it if you're not charging. So I'm like, okay, so <laughs> you need... And for, for the stuff we want to build and for some of those things we need, at some point, we need to start charging money. So I'm like, okay, we're at, we need to add pricing. So the next two major things that will come into it next is AI and pricing. But there are some other stuff that will come in um, collaboration. There's the enterprise elements. There is the, what I call the creator portal, where any product manager or anybody could build a solution end-to-end. Okay, if you're going to build, for instance, if you want an app, that is an app that looks after your child when you're away. This is everything you need to build it from end to end. This is all the user stories you need. This is all the this is the technology that you need to build it. And they put it on Recustry. And if an enterprise feels, oh, we want to build this, then they could always contact them and make and pay them. So <laughs> those are some of those features that we have. But again, one of the things we want to use for some marketing of it is also to have people vote on those features and say, okay, yes, um, uh, I'd like for you to have this. No, this wouldn't work and, uh, and all that. So, yeah. So I have a user story then as an example. I don't know. As a buyer, I want to be able to see a list of my previous orders so I can keep track of my spending habits or something like that. Yeah. So that's my user story. Yeah. In the old-fashioned ways before registry, I could just go and write that down in a document or something, but maybe I've got a load of those things and I want to get them through them quickly. Mm-hmm. Walk me through the process then. Like, how does your tool then help me do that? What What would I do in your tool to get that out there? And how would I then share that and enable my team to start looking at that and working on it? So if you've got a few stories, and I've written user stories and requirements before, if, if it's not, if, if in a workshop, so for, I'll give various examples. So if and then in an enterprise setting, you're probably in a workshop with some stakeholders and you're trying to gather user stories, um, okay, you have a few people and they're trading ideas. Instead of you manually writing it down, you could whack up your string and just as someone is speaking, you could click a few of the drop downs and you're populating those user stories. And right there and then you could share the user stories with everybody. So, wow. And you, if you've been in a workshop setting before, um, Oh yeah, and for most BAs, you're trying to write notes and you're you're trying to write stuff on post-its and all that, and most of the time it's missing. So, Recustry helps with for you to quickly click on some drop downs and populate whatever user stories you're trying to write and put it out there. For specific examples, like 
the one you mentioned for as a buyer and all that it also helps you with context so you're not struggling for what and and i've been in set in, in settings like that where you're saying oh as a buyer i want to um what's that what i'm looking for we've got a few contacts in there there'll be more where you click it and it suggests words that you could actually use and that guides you into properly properly articulating the user story that you're writing another thing that it does um, there's a share function so if you've done that by the time you're done typing it you could um, by the time you're done writing a couple of user stories you could just share it to a team another um, another reason why i'll say enterprise because you have a workshop today you've gone through a whole barrage of user stories maybe you've written 20 30 user stories there's a team out there in the Philippines or in India. You pop in their um, email address and you forward it to them like, okay, this is our first draft of our user story. Tell us what you think. It helps you start those discussions as soon as possible. You're not taking it back and sitting on it in, on your laptop and quickly <laughs> scribbling stuff to get by. So there's a few, as it in, in its rawest form that it is now, there's a few very good use for it. It might be slightly tailored on the enterprise end because that was when I found the need for it. But also, and this was one of the feedback I've gotten, one of the one of my friends who is he, he actually had this idea around an application and he actually went on registry and he started writing some of the user stories. He knew a developer friend and he just finished writing it and he forwarded he sent he shared it with the developer friend and they are actually building the product now as a speak based on okay, he has an idea. Instead of just scribbling stuff down that doesn't make sense to him, he's actually <laughs> writing some user stories around what that would do. And it will encourage further discussions and for them to build stuff. So those are the problems they're trying to solve. Uh, fair enough. But one of the things you talked about there was kind of guidance. And I'd like to take this opportunity, you know, since I'm talking to a business analyst, to <laughs> talk about some of the characteristics that you would consider of a good user story. I mean, we've all heard of user stories, but I'm sure that many people are misusing them. What does a good user story look like in your eyes? Okay, a good user story. And I know you'll probably ask me about a bad user story next. So, <laughs> But a good user story encourages some discussion and some debate. If it doesn't do that, so if, if you just take it and you say, okay, fair enough, it's, it's not good enough for me. A good user story should be, okay, so what this, can you take me through this? And you need to be able to explain what is on your mind at that point in time? A good user—you couldn't, you can never finish. A, a, a user story is never fully written in the first draft. It's just—it's supposed to be spontaneous. Okay, as a user, I want to do this so that I can do this. As a user, I want to open—I want to have a banking application so that I can check my bank balance. And then those discussions start. One of the things I really want to do is for people to be able to annotate, to say, okay, this is what you said, but this is what you mean. So for this, you would need a database. <laughs> and for this, you need some UI. For this, you need just what a good user story will call for some discussion. That's it. Some discussion, some debates, some can you explain yourself further. But obviously, it doesn't have to be nonsensical. It has to, it has to make <laughs> sense as you... As for for whoever is writing it from the perspective of um, that person, then you take it forward. That's my that's the biggest thing for me. As long as it encourages discussion, then you could. Um, it's a good user story. Yeah, I've seen some people describe it very much as that record of discussions, but also 
this idea that it's a very collaborative document that you kind of build a shared understanding around. And it's actually really interesting because in some cases, like you'll be looking at a user story and two people that were involved in writing it would have a full understanding of everything that that user story actually encapsulated. But you give that to one other person and they would maybe miss stuff because they weren't in the conversation and that shared understanding was filling in the gaps for the people that wrote it. So I always think it's a really interesting dynamic, that idea between being detailed enough and being too detailed. But then if we consider too detailed or some of the other things that you could do wrong with a user story, and you mentioned it earlier, what are some of the characteristics that you'd call out for a bad user story other than that it doesn't provoke a discussion? Okay, if it doesn't provoke a discussion, yeah, that's one. One other characteristic I'll say of a bad user story is being out of scope. And I've seen this before. So, for instance, you're building a product and you're targeting a particular set of people, but you're thinking ahead and you're saying, okay, we could also have this demographic into those that we're targeting. That's, that's another issue with user stories. You could always write it and throw it in. But again, for the, for the sake of everybody who's working on that, it, it doesn't make too much sense for you to put those kind of, for you to deviate from your initial plan when you're throwing stuff into user stories. One other thing I would say around user stories also is, and there are various, um, there are various flavors of user stories. Uh, there are some um, job stories and all that, different types, is in most teams, and this, this are for advanced and developed teams, there needs to, it's like a, a user story is a language, and some people don't like that language. For instance, some, I've seen developers who don't like you saying as a user or as they just say, just give me this. This is what I need. There's, there's some, so you, you need to also be able to ensure that the end recipient speaks that language. You're not just throwing stuff at them saying, oh, this is how I write my stuff. No, because if you're writing for them and you want them to understand, then you need to be able to ensure that they also understand um, where you're coming from. And if there's a particular format that they always insist on as a BA, and I've always, um, for some of the guys I mentor as a BA, you need to bend to the will of the end recipe, <laughs> <laughs> to their will to say, okay, yes, okay, if this is the format you want it written in, we'll try and write it in this format. But at first, for you to come up with your own ideas and get your juice flowing, you could write it in, in the format that you understand, but you need to also translate for them. One of the features we're adding in is the different flavors of user stories that we will have. So the job one, the typical requirement one, um, the job one is usually, um, if I could quickly talk to you about the context of the job story. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the job story, but job story usually goes... When I am, I want to, so I can, as opposed to as a user, I want to. So that's the job story. There's also Gherkin, and some, some developers like Gherkin because it helps them. But all these are actually interchangeable. And one of those things I want to do is for you to write, for you to be able to write a user story in the normal as a user, and for you to be able to click on a button and to give you a Gherkin version or click another <laughs> but button to give you a job story version. Those things exist because as a developer, you could actually write um, some programs in a particular language and some, some interpreter will change it to the other language for you. So those are some of the stuff I'm sure we could do with Requestry over time, but it just, <laughs> just needs to be something people want and not just another 
another feature for feature sake. Oh, absolutely. But I think you touched it a little bit yourself there, this idea of like, well, people don't have to use user stories though. I mean, there's obviously the advantage that the using user stories really focuses it on the user, but you seem to sometimes get people seem to try and fit everything into a user story, like even things that aren't really for users, like as a product owner, yeah. I want X because why? I mean, I'm assuming that you can't specifically stop that in the tool, for no. example, but are there any other really bad examples you've seen of people really mashing things into user stories in your career, which really didn't belong there at all? So even on even on, on Requestry, we, we've got personas aside from users. So we've got product setup, we've got, I think, developers or, or monitoring tool. It makes sense to just populate your backstory, um, your backlog with as many of these items as possible. So I'm... I'm and registry is not your backlog. So on your backlog, you could always filter down to, okay, these are the user stories uh, just particularly to users. But as product setup and as monitoring tool or as any other awkward personas as there might be, they also need to be considered because you're just not, if you're building for just users, um, who's going to manage the backend? There needs to be something at the backend that is also going to take care of the users. So those considerations, those requirements need to be stated. And that when when we're building requestry, I said oh, we needed to put that in because we just didn't want it to be just about users. But in the as things go on, you also need that differentiation needs to be made. These are strictly for users. These are strictly for how we manage this tool or this application. And then these are the stories or requirements. And that's that's why we have. Well, that's why. It's called requestry requirements and user stories because some are just requirements <laughs> for the system. So these are the requirements and these are the user stories and then you, you make this differentiation. People will, like I usually say around product development, it's not really exact science. So obviously you will have some situations where some things are not as you've prescribed them or as everybody knows them, but hey, you still need to get on with it. So you get some of that, but it's, it's, and it's also a question of style. So some, there was a developer who I met. I can't remember the company when it was, but he is, is he, I wouldn't say he's a 10x or, or whatever, but he's actually very, very good. But they, <laughs> they, there's a way he develops stuff that is very, very different to everybody. So he just doesn't do, if you go into a session with him and his team, and the first, the first thing he asks you is, he's really, really concerned about the back end and the front end. And the, is really con um, concerned around, okay, we need to lay this foundation before you start thinking of anything fancy the customer will see. And you all, you always need to, so for, for him, the concern is not really your user story. The concern is around how does the product set up and how does it set up. But obviously that, that you also need to consider the user. So yeah, but surely he should be writing that ticket though, right? <laughs> he wouldn't write it. He's, he's a, he's all those, I've been here 20 years kind of guy. <laughs> You always, you, oh yeah, you, you always have to listen to whatever he has to say and just say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's uh, good at what he does, so I wouldn't complain too much about him. I don't know. I might complain a little bit, but you know. You, yeah, yeah. I don't work for him, so. Developers, in my experience, man, early, my early years of my career, you needed to just do whatever a developer says, <laughs> so it just doesn't mess up whatever you've been, you've been working on. But what I was just <laughs> going to point out was for him, so he might not, User stories might come in at some point, and you're, but he's, he's more keen around 
what do you want me to deliver from a backend perspective? So you need to write those kind of uh, requirements for him to get stuff out of the way. Oh, I still want him writing them, but <laughs> again, that's not my fight. I did actually, at some point, we actually did get to that point where we said, okay, why don't you just give us what you think we need and we'll retrofit with what we think we needed. And I think that was how we resolved it. <laughs> can't even remember. But is this engagement model with their team and it was actually on the, it wasn't, and it was one of those organizations where, oh, we need to focus on the customer, but yeah, we need, this guy was, no, I need to focus on the system, uh, my architecture and every other thing. Then after that, I'll get to your customer. Well, if you're listening, sir, I'm very disappointed in <laughs> you. Well, he gets his job done. I wouldn't. He gets his job done. Nah. When, I'm sure when he read, when, when, if he listens to this, <laughs> I'm sure he'll probably bother me and say, what are you talking about me? <laughs> no. uh, you just say you're talking about someone <laughs> that else. That'll go very, very likely. Yeah, no, that was the guy. <laughs> and what piece of advice have you got then for young, ambitious business analysts or wannabe business analysts trying to make their first waves in the business analyst career like any way that you could help them get started or give them some inspiration in their career first thing i would say is the soft skills is what gets you far for some reason i i kind of found that out and i wasn't really looking for it but i found it out it was it's the soft skills that gets you far so the odd coffee or after work <laughs> or after work drinks with the developer who's been playing hardball with you all day <laughs> we'll get your as as he's paying. <laughs> we'll get your we'll get your stuff put in into development faster than any other thing that you think you know <laughs> it's, it's what i've learned so the soft skills learn how to talk learn how to cheer people up and learn how to walk into a room and everybody feels comfortable talking to you. That's how you get your requirement out. If you don't do that, you're just going to keep getting um, frozen stairs whenever you're running a workshop. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> but yeah, so those, those are the stuff that will help you. And as I would also say, as soon as you find your feet, um, get technical if you're not. If you're not, get as much understanding of how systems work as possible or else you will always feel inadequate if you don't. It was one of the reasons why I did get technical and I don't write code for production purpose. I always tell people I write anything I need to write for analysis purposes, but this, at least I, I will have an understanding of, okay, this is how this thing works and this is how stuff um, are set up. So um, do get um, technical. The lady I was trying to remind, remember, Irene, you, she's, she's doing something awesome. I actually forwarded yeah. our website to some, to, uh, to some people recently to say if they wanted to ever do anything. But yeah, she's, she's, yeah, no, I mean, great. she's great. So yeah, if you, if you BA, if you find your feet two, three years into business analysis, try as much as possible to get technical. It helps. It helps. You, you feel more confident. You do stuff. And you get all the jobs in the world. You you get called to to work for big organizations. Well, there you go. Not too big, though. We want nice agile ones. The nice agile ones don't pay the big bucks. I must say. Oh, there you go. I see. I see where your heart's at. And where can people find you after this if they want to find out more about Recistry or chat to you about user stories or business analysis in general? I would say I'm active on LinkedIn. My full name is Olawali Richard Awe. Um, so if you look for me on LinkedIn, you'll find me. I've got two Twitter profiles. 
and I'm, I'm, I'm active on both. So Richard3D7 is my profile on Twitter, Richard3D7 on Twitter. I'm also at Recustry on Twitter, although somebody might be managing that account soon, um, but I'm still the one managing it. There so, you go, on the way up. Uh, <laughs> just, just, just to get other people, get other people involved. I've, I've had a few <laughs> people who are interested in helping to run it, so I, I want to give other people some well, ideas around it. Yeah, so those places you'll find me. I will pop that into the show notes, and hopefully you'll get a few people coming across and trying to find out more. Well, that's been a fantastic chat. So obviously really appreciate you taking the time to tell me a bit about your new startup, a bit about user stories and business analysis in general. Obviously, we'll stay in touch as we have been already. But as for now, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Jason. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favourite podcast app, and make sure you share it with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. <laughs>